brought your Bibles. We are in the book of James, uh, chapter 4. And we're in our book of James, chapter 4. And last week, if you were here, James was talking about this divided heart. Like, divided heart. And we talked about a man or, or woman can't serve both the world and God. And friendship with the world is enmity with God or an enemy relationship with God. And so God's like, choose. Submit yourselves to me and choose who you're going to serve. And we had a time where you can come up and come to the altar and do that. And it was good. But at the end of James chapter 4, or in James chapter 4 last week, I want to point out a couple of verses that we preached about last week, okay? Um, and so they're going to be up on the screen. The first was James 4, 6. And he says this, talking about God, but he gives more grace. And it says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Poses the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then a few verses later of last week's passage, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so we kind of ended with those couple verses and it was kind of last week's verses about humility. But it's obvious that God wants us to be humble. See, humility is a soil that God can work with. You know, it talks about like us being soils and some are rocky soils and some are really good soil. And God can use humility. God can plant his will in humility, his purposes. And the humble folks are the ones that God can actually use and reveal his will to. And, and you know, it says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he says he exalts the humble. And so we are called to be humble. Like humility is having an accurate view of your life. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less often, all right? But it's having an accurate view of your life and who you are to God. You know, you know, I am, like, in this grand scheme of the world, I am just a speck. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just a speck in the grand scheme of the world, okay? And, like, kind of knowing that, like, the song Amazing Grace says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved, uh, says I'm a wretch. And that was kind of a humble word to use in that Amazing Grace song. It says, I am a wretch, and, but your grace was so amazing that you saved me. So it's having a good understanding of who we are and not thinking more of ourselves, and being so grateful with that. It's knowing that apart from God, I can do nothing. Apart from God, I can do nothing. Like I am a, a nobody without God. And it's really recognizing that, and God can use those type of people that have that mindset. Pride, on the other hand, is not good soil. God can't do anything with pride. And us that even have a little bit of pride, like God can't use that. And God's like, no, I want, I want you to humble yourselves. I want you to try to be humble, and I want you to work on that and give yourself to me and pray, and, and, because God can't do anything with pride. I can't think of a sin in the Bible that God hates more than pride. Because when we're prideful, we kind of push God out of the equation and we replace, our, we replace God with ourselves. And it's like we puff ourselves up. Um, and it says God opposes the proud. Why? Um, because pride is boastful. It's evil. And why? Because pride replaces us with God. We think, the car I drive, I bought that. And uh, my own money bought that, and it's, you know, I provided that for myself. Look at my health. 
I'm doing pretty good. You know, I just take good care of myself. I don't know what to say. Like, it's, and every good thing that we have, we kind of attribute to ourselves and our success, not knowing that every penny we get is from God. Every breath we take is from God. And I don't care how good you take care of your body, you can die tomorrow. And it's kind of recognizing that. That God is making sure every heartbeat that we have is happening at the exact time and in his timing and his thing. And tomorrow's not guaranteed no matter how good you take care of yourself. We all know people who lived a super healthy life and they died in an early age. So any of us that look at our lives and say, I'm doing pretty good and I've done this, I've done that, and God's like, no, I've done that. Thank me for it. You know, have a good understanding of me. And it's not saying, looking at my life and saying, look at this life I built for myself. Looking at this life I built for myself. And James goes a bit more into this, and he wants to know this, and this is kind of the main point for today, is this. And this might be a sort of shock to some of you, but it might not be, and it's, it's a deep theological truth, and I'm going to share it and try to explain it to you, okay? It's going to be this next slide. You are not God. All right? Like, that's the big, heavy theological truth for today, is you are not God. All right, everybody look to your neighbor and say, I am not God. Say that real quick. All right. Some of you didn't say it. Some of you in the back didn't say it, and I think you might still think you're God, all right? So if you didn't say it, say it, all right? Because you're not God. Like, you're not. And, and you're, you're just not. <laughs> Some of you need to be reminded that because it says here in God's Word that you are living your life as if there is no God or as if you're the God of your life. And here's a newsflash. Even prideful folks and humble folks, like, you are not in charge of your life. God is orchestrating everything that happens in your life, and we have this illusion that we're in control, and we're really not in control of anything. You know what I mean? And that creates worry, anxiety, and uh, makes our mind go crazy. You know what's amazing? A friend of mine... Um, was from this church was in surgery this week. Uh, she got to observe a surgery, rather, and it was open-heart surgery. And she was saying how awesome it was that she got to observe open-heart surgery. We talked about it um, when I met her this week, and we were chatting about it, and, and I'm like, that's crazy. Like, so do they, like, she's like, yeah, they saw open the, the chest, and they pull open the chest, and I'm just like, whoa. And I'm like, does the heart stop beating? And like, yeah, they stop the heart from beating so they could work on it, and then they circulate the blood, and and then at the end, they, you know, get the heart to start beating again. I was like, that's amazing. Like, that's just an amazing reminder that in our bodies is an organ that's pumping 24-7. And you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stress about it. And some of you stress about things that are a lot less important than our hearts pumping inside of our bodies. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what we don't know is we don't have any control over it. But God is in control of that heart that's pumping blood throughout our body and making sure we're alive every day and making sure we're walking. Isn't that amazing? Yes, and it's, it's like, and we need those reminders sometimes that we have this thing that goes on and we have nothing to do with it. We have this thing that's happening inside of our body that's out of our total control and we have nothing to do with it. And so um, James goes into this a bit more and we learn about today more and more that we're not God. And the verse is James uh, chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV, and it's on the screens if you didn't, don't have your Bibles. But I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll unpack it. Verse 11 says this. In this first part, you might think, what does this have to do with humility and pride? And I'll explain it. 
But it says this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Let's pray. God, as we look into your word and study your word, God, um, we're praying that your Holy Spirit um, speaks to each one of us the way we need to hear it. God, for some of us, verse 11 is going to stick out. For some of us, verse 13 will stick out and we'll, we'll go home. But I pray that every single one of us applies it to our lives the way that you'd want us to. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that's keeping you out of a part of their life, God, you just knock on that door and they let you in every part of their life. And I, God, I pray that we leave here realizing that you are sovereign, you are in control, and you ultimately are orchestrating things way beyond our control and have a peace knowing that. So God, we love you and worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the first portion is James 4, 11 through 12 that we'll look at, and I'm going to read again, and then we'll unpack it. It says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law or judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, and so it's saying here, like, don't speak evil against your brother, okay? And he's talking to Christians in the church, like, especially in the church. We shouldn't speak evil against other folks, but you guys shouldn't speak evil against each other, and you shouldn't speak evil against each other. So what does that mean? Well, I think it's fairly plain. If I, if, if, if I tell you that I spoke evil against my wife, you better believe I'm probably going to be sleeping on the couch, right? It's not a good thing. If you speak evil against somebody, you are slandering them. You're lying about them. You are maybe sharing a sin that they've committed with other people to try to make them look bad. But speaking evil against somebody is trying to tarnish their, their good reputation. It's like, a, for those legal terms and people who love legal terms, it's like a defamation of character. I'm just putting you down, I'm making you look bad, and I'm doing that in secret behind your back. It's slandering, lying, and all these bad things. Um, a good way that maybe we'll understand it is talking trash behind somebody's back. All right, you guys know that term? Like, talking trash behind somebody's back. That's no good. Saying he's a loser, uh, he can't keep a job, she's a hussy, if, 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 if hussy's even a correct word nowadays. Maybe there's other terms I don't want to use because maybe there's a kid in the room, but she's a hussy, he can't keep a job, he's a liar, he's a bum, she's a bum, yada, yada, yada. And we criticize and we put other people down 
And God said that's evil and that shouldn't happen at all. That shouldn't happen. And that should be a huge heart check. You see, talking trash behind somebody's back is not humble. It's actually very prideful when you talk about somebody behind their back. When you trash somebody, when you put other people's down, it's super prideful. And it's like the opposite of humble. Because what you're saying is, is like, uh, number one, you're talking bad about them. So in a sense, you're making yourself feel better about yourself. And you're making yourself feel up here and making them feel down here. And it's prideful. And God said, you know, that should not happen. So this term also speaks about, it talks about lying about somebody, but it also talks about speaking about somebody's evil. Speaking about somebody's evil. And so what that means is, is like, I know that so-and-so did something evil, and I know it actually happened, and I'm telling other people about it. I'm telling other people about it. And it's like, whoa, why, why is that wrong? Because it happened. And I'm just speaking the truth. The truth happened. And it's like, no, no. You know what the Bible says? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And when you hear about somebody's sin, we should be going to that person and talking to them and exposing it to them and loving them to repentance and not going to other people and being like, hey, did you hear what she did? Did you hear what he did? Because that is prideful and that's trying to bring somebody down. And that's trying to, you know, it's like we're called to cover sin. And, and we're called, not, not cover it in that way, but expose it and bring it to repentance, but not to talk about it to the whole church. When you find your brother or sister in sin, your first thing you should do is go to Matthew 18 and see what it says about talking to them and bringing them into repentance and, and sharing them like, this is what I see in your life. Is it true? Okay, let's, let's stop. Let's pray about this. Let, you, know. you don't go to other people and share about that person's sin unless you need to bring an elder in or bring other people in to love and care for them and bring them to repentance. And so it's even talking about true things with them. So it's speaking behind somebody's back in a way that's not good. And the term even uses is like secret meetings and like secret conversations or you know, we call it sometimes like those parking lot conversations that are just evil, you know, that happen out in the church parking lots about other folks. It's like, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. It should be directly with the source that you're talking about. The only time you should talk about somebody's back, behind somebody's back is if you're singing the praises. Man, that Billy can cook. Awesome cook. I'm talking about him behind his back, but it's, it's true and good things, right? You know, Sarah is awesome. She's funny. She's cool. Like, I, I just, she's awesome to be around, you know. She, She's a godly lady or, you know, and just speaking good about people is always good. You can speak good about me behind my back all you guys want, all right? Feel free to, and that's fine. Um, but not evil and not things that are bad or not things that are, you know, that's done and that's the Bible calls evil here, and it's not good. But it also says this, and it talks about judging your brother, okay? And it says we shouldn't judge our brothers or our sisters. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's important. Um, but first of all, Jesus calls out judging, and he says, and you guys can help me on this, judge not less, yeah, I heard some, like, King James folks say, judge not lest ye be judged, or judge not unless you would like to be judged, okay? And so judging is wrong, and Jesus said it's wrong, but let's, let's look at this and let's talk about this for a second. Um, judging's wrong because we shouldn't judge others because there is only one judge. Amen? Amen. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. God. Same. It's okay. They're both right. But Jesus and God are judge. And the big thing is, you are not God. 
main theme of the day, right? When you become a judge and condemn other people, you are putting yourself in the place of God, and you are not, you are not God. It's not your place to judge somebody. That's only for God to do. And so, again, I'd like, it talks about here um, condemning people. The condemning is left up to God. God is the one who condemns or saves. It's not you and me. And there's a, there's a reason behind this, and, and I'm going to go into this real quick. But I believe there are, there are two kinds of judgment, okay? There's two kinds of judgment, and I'm going to explain real quick. And, and slide guys, don't put the next slide up until I get to that. That's a, the list is a different portion, but I want to talk about this for a second, and so I don't want you to be distracted with that list. So the, there's two kinds of judgment. There's evil judgment and good judgment. Um, the evil judgment is you elevate yourself to God's level. I'm looking down on you and condemning you. The Pharisees thought at the time of Jesus, and part of the reason Jesus spoke about it, is the Pharisees thought that God gave them the power to literally condemn people and save people. And if they condemned somebody, they were condemned. And if they were saved, they're saved. So they literally tell people, go to hell. And that's what they would mean. And they would say, you know, you're going to hell. And what they would do is they were putting themselves in the place of God. And God's like, you're not God. Stop doing that. You're not supposed to judge. There's only one judge, and it's me. And so they thought they had that power, and God's like, no. And people think they have that power. It's never our place to condemn people. We don't have that authority, and you are not God. And we can never say to somebody, you're going to hell. And that's never our place to say. We can humbly say this is what God says about what Jesus did for us and how to accept him and, and how you can experience the gift of salvation. But everything else, as far as the judgment goes on somebody's salvation, that's up to God. Amen? And it's not up to me because I'm probably not as good of a judge as God. I may think I am, but I'm really not. Um, and neither are you probably. Um, so in a good way to look at this is like, I have three boys. And I don't know if you've met my boys. They're running around here Sunday morning. Logan, Tyler, Jonathan. And Jonathan is kind of crazy. He just runs around. And we even talked about this last night. Like, he just doesn't look where he's running. So if you get knocked over by him, I'm really sorry. I think he almost knocked over somebody with a cane a couple weeks ago. And I'm really sorry. My kids are just all over the place. And we're, you know, trying our best. But anyway, think about this. Don't judge the pastor's kids now. I know y'all judge pastor's kids. Um, but listen, when my kids are fighting, you know what Nicole and I hear sometimes? Is they're fighting... And my kids will play the judge with each other. And like Logan looks at, our oldest looks at our youngest, Jonathan. Jonathan, don't do that or you're going to get a discipline. I'm like, or, or, or they'll say, you're grounded and you don't get a treat tonight. <laughs> That's one of the punishments. You don't get a treat tonight. But I said, and, and you know, maybe Jonathan's like, is this true? I don't get a treat tonight? And I'm like, listen. He's not the judge of you. We're the judges, and we'll make that ultimate call of authority on your life. <laughs> Yo, you don't have the authority to take away treats. That's dad and mom's authority in the house. <laughs> you don't have the authority to ground each other, and you don't have the authority to spank each other. That's mom and dad's authority to decide that stuff. But you know how your kids, like, think they could judge each other and be like, punish each other? It's like, no, that's not you. And God's also saying the same way. He's saying it's not for you to judge. It's not your job. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took God's judgment from everybody who would put their trust in him who died. And so that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the gospel is those of us that accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all our sins are forgiven under the blood of Jesus. Amen? And the beauty of the gospel is those of us that are in Christ Jesus, 
never have to stand before the judgment seat of God. The only judgment seat that we sit before is the seat called the Bema Seat Judgment where we get rewards at the end. And so we step before the throne and God gives us rewards and all that good stuff. But we don't go before the judgment seat of God. Um, those that don't accept Jesus, their blood, his blood doesn't cover their sins. And they do go before the judgment seat at the last days. They're, they're resurrected for judgment. But that's not for us. So that's the evil judgment when we judge other people and put ourselves in the place of God. But there's also good judgment, okay? There's good judgment. And what is that? So we read this statement, don't judge. And I ask the question, I ask this question, can I not call out sin in the church? If there's, if there's sin in the church, am I not allowed to call it out? Or like you guys, if you see a brother and sister sinning, are we not allowed to call it out because that would be judging? And so I, I wrestle with this question, and you guys should wrestle with this question too. And that's not true. Um, when my brother sins, am I not allowed to talk to him? Because if my brother is in sin and I talk to him, is that me judging them? And no, and I think we need to realize there's a difference. We are called to hate sin. We are called to expose sin. So when our brother or sister are sinning, we should go to them and talk to them and expose it and love them back to Jesus. Amen? And that's, that's not bad judgment. That's not bad judgment. And the Bible commands us to hate sin. And the Bible commands us to hate sin and expose sin. And I won't have these verses on the screen, but in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, for those of you who are taking notes, Jesus says this, beware of false prophets. Well, that kind of sounds like being judgmental, right? Who am I to judge if a false prophet's false or not? And no, God's saying, you can discern if somebody's a false prophet and you should be aware of that. In Acts, um, you know, Peter um, defies this guy named Simon to his face because he was trying to buy the Holy Spirit. And he said, you are not living right and you're trying to purchase the Holy Spirit with money. You need to humble yourself before God and accept him. That sounds judgmental. And in Matthew 18, the verse I talked about, it says this. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And it gives a good example for how to do that. And so it's saying, if your brother sins, go to him and tell him his fault. Well, isn't that judgment? Didn't I make a judgment on if he's sinning or not? And so I think it gets muddied a little bit. And I'll tell you what I hear a lot in the church. It happens over and over again. You talk to your brother about sin or you talk to your sister about sin or talk to them about their life in some way and they get defensive and they say, you shouldn't judge me. You know, we're called not to judge, so you shouldn't judge me. And when they say that, you know, and pull out that verse, what they are really saying is this, I don't want any accountability in my life. I don't want any accountability in my life and, um, and I don't want to deal with my sins, so please just leave me alone. I don't want you to hold me accountable. I don't want to deal with my sins, so leave me alone. That's what they're really saying when they're saying, hey, don't judge me. Because we are called to talk to our brothers and sisters about sin in a loving way. And Matthew 18 gives us a clear example about how to do that. So if I talk to you, if you're in sin, it's wrong of me to go to other people, but it's okay for me to go to you and ask you, do you agree with this? This is what I see in your life. Let's pray, let, you know, repent, all that good stuff. So I, I put up a chart up here so you guys could do this. Um, look at this if you're, if you're taking notes. And it talks about the good judgment and evil judgment. Um, and they're side-by-side -side comparisons because it's kind of the way my brain thinks. But good judgment is rooted in love and evil judgment is rooted in hate or 
rooted in indifference, like I don't care about you, like I don't care about you at all, but I'm going to judge you, um, that's evil judgment. Um, good judgment is there's hope for a better future, and evil judgment is hope for worse. We know we do this as a society. We hope, we just want to see people fall and crash and burn sometimes, and that's not good. So, but good judgment is like, I want you to succeed. I want you to grow. I want you to repent. And so I, I think this is good. I want you to do better. And evil hopes the worst. Good judgment is face to face, man to man, woman to woman, and, you know, or woman to man, or man to woman, or whatever. Um, but it's done face to face. Evil judgment is done behind their back. Good judgment is done in humility and evil judgment is done in pride. Good judgment is there's a call for repentance and ask for repentance. And really, repentance is a big word, but all that means is that you just acknowledge that you messed up and you, you ask God for forgiveness. That's all that is in repentance. It's not really a big thing. It's just asking God for forgiveness of your sins and acknowledging that you screwed up. And so good judgment calls for repentance and evil judgment deems one hopeless. They're hopeless. Hey, we are not God. We can never call somebody hopeless. That's up to God to decide, right? Good. So these are kind of like the side-by-side -side judgment of good judgment and bad judgment. But I think we get this confused thinking that like every type of talking to somebody about what's going on in their life is judgment and that's bad. So we can never make a judgment call in somebody's life. I think that is wrong and that's why I explained it. So we go to this, don't slander, don't judge in an evil way. And then he goes into this next part, and he talks about something that you might read and think, what's so bad about that? And so I'm going to explain this. It is um, James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. It says, come now, you who say, and by the way, when you read this, you're going to be like, I do this all the time, and I hope I'm not an evil person, okay? So just read it. But we do this all the time. And so it says this, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. Okay, hold on. You are a mist. That's your life right there. It's already gone. It said you're a mist. All right? That's, that's what it says. Another word is vapor, like a vapor, like a vapor of steam that rises up from your coffee. Your life is just a vapor or mist. It appears for a little time and vanishes, just like the squirt of this. Appears for a little while and vanishes. All right, back to God's word. Don't look at that. I think my life is very short. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. And again, I'm sure you're reading this and thinking, well, what's the big deal? I do this all the time. You know, someone in the church says, hey, I want to move to Chicago and get a job there. And my plan is I'm going to work there for a couple years and I'm going to probably move back to Muskegon because it's more beautiful here than Chicago and um, all that good stuff. Would any of you say, oh my gosh, you're evil? <laughs> like, would any of you be like, whoa, that's an evil statement to say right there. Um, no, we probably wouldn't, but, but think back what James is trying to say. He's saying that there is a bit of arrogance or pride here at times when we say things like this. He is saying, you sit around, you map out the te next 10 years of your life, 
You, you try your best to save for retirement and talk to your Edward Jones financial advisor and plan and say, I'm going to be around and I'm going to retire at age 60 and I'm going to do all this. And you have no idea if you're going to die tomorrow morning. And it's saying you could be dead tomorrow. Like you, and it's saying you have no control over this. And we got to like hope for the best but plan for the worst type thing. Like, and so it's like, you could be dead tomorrow. We could be dead today. Like, my life isn't guaranteed and your life's not guaranteed. And living your life as if it is is just wrong. Shoot, I have contingency plans for everything. I got life insurance on myself. I even wrote a note for when I die. And it's in my wife's drawer. So if I were to die, she could pull out this note and she could read what I wrote to the family, all right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking about this because I know that God could call me home any day, Amen. I mean, I might have cancer in my body right now and I don't even know about it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not being morbid, but there's some truth there that God knows. And I should always say, and if you ask me, Jim, are you going to go home for Thanksgiving? I should be like, Lord willing, I hope to go home for Thanksgiving. My car is busted. My van's busted. Uh, you know what I mean? I could get sick. I could break down. I don't know if I'm going to make it there, but I could hope, God willing. And he's saying, as a church, Let's be in the habit of involving God in our plans. Amen? Hey, when are you going to retire, Ron? I don't know. I retired 30 years ago. All right, that's a bad example. All right. All right. Um, when are you going to retire, Floyd? Oh, I'm going to retire at age, you know, 60. And I have this whole plan laid out. And he's saying, James is saying, to a degree, that's boastful and evil. And what we should say is, if God allows me to live, I, I hope to retire at age 60. You know, I hope to retire at age 60. God, Lord willing, of course. And you might be thinking, that's really nitpicky, but in a way, we should be inviting God in all our conversations in that way. And always just peppering it, like your coworker asks, hey, when are you out of here? Hey, God willing, if God allows me to, I'd like to retire at this time. But, you know, it's all up to him, right? It's not up to me. It's not even up to me if I make it home today. I hope I do, but it's not up to me, and it's up to God. And that's kind of what he's talking about. And he's saying, like, we should be in the habit of saying, Lord willing, because the main point is we're not God. We cannot even comprehend the complexity of our lives. I, I really do think about this a lot. Like every day, I think God is like preventing accidents all around us. I think God's like preventing our steps. He's preventing my kids from cracking their skulls open like every day. And I really do think that there's angels protecting us and God is like looking over us. And we think like, we, we yell at God because they're like, this happened to me and I'm so angry. And God's like, think about all the stuff that you have no idea about that I took care of you about and protected you for. Like, think about all the stuff I've done for you. And you have zero control of your life. You have zero control over it. So he's just, come to me and know that I am God. Come to me and know that I am God and humble yourselves and realize that you have no control over your lives. And there's some freedom in that, right? Like, there's some freedom in knowing that God is in control and God is, has it and ultimately it's up to God. And he's saying, take your pride away. Take your pride away. Put your pride away. Um, you know, we look at our lives and think we're doing pretty well. And God wants us to have an accurate view. And he says, you know, this is your whole life right here. That's it. Like, you could probably see it, but, and, and I can't even see it anymore. It's gone. And it says you could see it and it's gone. It's not saying anything about your value. Like, you're not as valuable as a vapor, of course, because Jesus died for you, so you have immense value to God. But he's saying the brevity of your life is like a, that's it. You're gone. And if you talk to anybody, like some of our older folks in the church that are 90 or maybe 80s or 90s, 
You know what they'll tell you? I talk to a lot of people on their deathbeds. They say, life goes by so fast. It feels like just yesterday I was in high school. Isn't that true? It feels like just yesterday my kids were this high and now I have great grandkids. And on their deathbed, everybody says this. And my great grandma said this when she was on her deathbed. Life goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. Every parent here who has older kids says, I don't know where the time went, but my kids are all grown and they have their own families now and it feels like just yesterday they were little. And I feel like we just are like prideful, like, oh, you know, I'm going to control everything. It's like, no, 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 no. Life goes by so fast. You blink your eyes, you're going to be on your deathbed, you're going to be 90 years old, and it's just done. And so he's saying, use the most of it. Have an accurate view that God is in control. And anytime we get prideful, think about your life as only a vapor, and you actually have no control over everything. If you get excited about how much money you have in the bank account, or you get excited about all the things you have, just remember that God gave you that and give him glory and honor and, you know, tithe a little bit too of that. Just, just saying. Um, and, you know, and, and just know that you're building a life that you think is going to last forever, and it's really not. You're going you're gonna to die, and somebody's going to ruffle through your closet, and they're going to throw your clothes over to the Goodwill, and, you know, your grandkids are going to pick through and take your good stuff. And thank, Thanks, Gramps. But you're not going to take any of it when you die. And all the stuff we're building for ourselves, it's okay as long as we give God glory. Amen? And we have no pride that we built this all ourselves because it was God who did the building. Let's not kid ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Worship team, you can come up here and I'm going to pray. Don't slip on all this glass cleaner. I've been spraying everywhere. Please don't, anybody. God, <clears throat> help us as a church to always say these simple words, Lord willing. Help us always, anytime somebody asks us about our plans for the future, help us caveat it by saying, Lord willing, or if the Lord wills. And, and every conversation we have where we try to plan out the future, just be like, Lord willing, I, I hope. And it's up to God ultimately, it's not up to me. And Lord, help us have this mindset that we are not you. And ultimately, any pride that we have, God, I pray that you just take it away. Just remove it, God. Like, like surgeons remove cancer from a body. I pray that if there's any pride here, God, and we invite you to remove it. Church, can you just invite God right now in your heart to just take away any pride inside of you? Can you say that to God in your heart? Say, God, take away any pride I have. And if you're really bold, church, say this. God, just break me if you have to. Because if God breaks you, church, it's going to be the best thing for you. He can't work with sin. He can't work with pride. But he can work with a humble heart. So can we say as a church, Lord, please humble us. Help us be humble. Take away any pride that might rear its ugly head and just get rid of it, God. No pride. We don't want it. Help us love each other and not slander or speak evil against each other, God. God, help us not judge people in an evil way, but help us call out sin in our brothers if we see it in a loving way. So God, we, um, we pray this, God. Take away our pride. Take away any pride that we have as a church, any pride we have as leaders, and help us just be humble and submit to one another. We love you, God. We love you for the cross. God, I pray that if there's anybody here that hasn't come to you for repentance and ask forgiveness for all their sins, they do that today and they ask you, God, to come into their life. If anybody in here is wandering, 
and they drifted away from you, God, I pray that they come back and say, God, I want to be back. I want to repent and I want to follow you. So I pray for this now. Pray for us as a church and just thank you, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,